You're listening to The Deadly Dose, hosted by Harini Bot and Megan Gesner. Hey, Poison Pals. Thank you for joining us today. We are excited to hit you with another (laughs) re-release. I hope that these re-releases have been, you know, just as fun to listen to again, because I'm having a good time re-listening to some of our older content. But if you're like, ah, I've heard it already, then sorry, I can't help you. (laughs) So anyways, um, this is a re-release of one of the craziest stories we've covered. Craziest. This is about the assassination of Kim Jong-nam, who was Kim Jong-un, current North Korean leader's half-brother. Mm-hmm. And um, this assassination occurred in 2017. To me, this this seems like the story has died, media-wise. Right, like, right. it's an event that happened and was interesting for a short amount and now we're in 2022 and like there's no follow-ups per se at least in large-scale media i was gonna say or it was purposely killed like kim jong-nam <laughs> one thing that was new that was something that i didn't see during the time of the original recording because this article hadn't dropped yet but it is an article from the bbc in february of 2021 so it's actually mm-hmm. been some time because we're at middle of summer of 2022 yeah but um this article covered the now released documentary called assassins and assassins came out in 2020 and i even reference it at the end of this episode and we say uh, i think harini says it but one of us says like oh yeah we're gonna watch that this saturday when we link up we're gonna eat our sandwiches together um yeah, that never happened. I forget what <laughs> happened. We definitely saw each other. There's a reason. There's a reason. It was not out yet. That's why. wasn't out. Oh, yes. okay, okay. It actually didn't come out until like six months later. So at that point, many episodes had passed. We had honestly forgotten about it. But we have something queued up. Yes. We are going to watch this as additional content. So again, it's the Documentary Assassins by Ryan White. And for Poison Pals who are interested in watching it on their own, it is under Stars, so you will need a premium subscription on some sort of streaming service if you don't just have Stars streaming, which I don't. I have Amazon Prime, but like, you know, you have to pay that extra money. Do that 14-day trial. Yeah. Exactly. So we're just going to, you know, work the system to watch this together, and we will fulfill our promise of watching this, and it will be some extra content that you can access on our Patreon once we release, so that'll be very exciting. We'll do a little reaction video. Um, Ryan White, who's the director, he actually was keyed into this story by... Doug Bach Clark, who is the guy who wrote that fantastic GQ article I mentioned in the original episode. Um, And Doug Bach Clark actually was like, hey, Ryan, this is actually a much deeper story that there is so much detail. And like the women are like innocent because what Ryan says in the BBC article is like, honestly, I didn't think this was film worthy at first. Like this weird story about 
uh, you know, Kim Jong-un's half-brother being assassinated by two women who thought they mm-hmm. were on a, like, a prank television show. Like, it just doesn't seem – it just seems weird, but not, like, yeah. worth it. Like, they clearly knew what they were doing. Like, that was his his impression. But Doug Bach-Clark convinced him. He's like, no, I'm doing this deep dive article in GQ, and it's so much more, and it is worth your time, and you, you have to, like, do film Absolutely. on this. And yeah. that's how White was – convinced to go and he Mm. flew out to Malaysia around the same time that the GQ article was being investigated. The unique thing, which I'm excited to see when we watch the documentary is they were able to get the footage from CCTV at the time of Mm. me doing the research on this, the CCTV footage that was released was just like two minute clips of right when the assassination was happening. That's what the police released to the public, Mm -hmm. but they were able to get everything like stuff that was never released to the public so i think this will be very interesting because they the article is pretty much titled like cctv footage makes this documentary so i think it'll just be us watching cctv footage but like i don't mind (laughs) (laughs) um and oh here's one thing i'm tying into like why did this story die and i didn't Mm -hmm. think about this i mean i honestly i didn't re-listen to all of the the episode um but at the time that this story dropped globally about the assassination in the US, we were coming up on the Trump inauguration. And there is a comment in the article of just like the reason why it didn't blow up more like this story didn't blow up more is because we the media was just so inundated with the inauguration that it just killed everything else. And I'm like, you know, if if it was just like a different time, I think this would have been huge in the US or just like globally. So that's an interesting like alternate universe thought you know yeah, what i mean like totally. what would have happened like would there have been a full not a documentary even but like a movie or like a hulu series you know what i'm saying yeah. like there should be honestly i was just gonna cut in and say like how crazy would it have been because i think there would have been a full-blown investigation i know they did have one but even more so because this story I t- I'm telling you guys, Poison Palace, if you have not listened to the story, when people ask me, oh, if I were to listen to one episode of our 80 plus episodes, they're all great. But I yeah. have to tell them, listen to one episode, listen to yeah. this one, because it is textbook, like what this podcast is about. It's mm-hmm. just so gripping and it just doesn't seem real. You every. Right point in the turn in the plot in the story you're like no way no way no way yeah it, it's just cr- craziness and i think we say this in the original recording which is you know like there's no way that this shit actually happens in real life right. like there's no way this right. type of espionage or assassination mm-hmm. attempt is is actually goes down or the thought that goes into it happens on this level um but Correct. it clearly does and it did and i think that's what just blows my mind so anyways um that is like not really an update, but just some fun observation stuff yeah. and some s- cool stuff to come out from the documentary. And I've seen the reviews. Now the documentary documentary has been out for about two years. Mm-hmm. People are like, "There's the top the top review on like Google is like this is the best documentary I've seen hands what? down." So I'm like, "All right, let's get into it." Let's I'm into excited. It. <laughs> I'm so excited. So guys, if yeah. you want to watch this live, if you don't want to dip into your account, your bank account to buy a stars account access then just watch it with us with a live reaction you can watch it with friends so join the patreon account and you can watch it live with us yeah all right well enjoy this is the ultimate prank before we get into the rest of the episode if you've been enjoying our content so far please go rate and review us wherever you might be listening from 
or don't. Just keep on hanging with us. All right, on to the rest of the episode. Hello, everyone. We are back in your ear holes. Our gorgeous ASMR voices. Today, we do have some libations on hand, live in the flesh. So here we go. A little bit of ASMR for you. Ooh, nice and crisp. <laughs> nice and crisp. And full disclosure, guys, this is the first time I've ever opened a can of beer <laughs> with one hand. So Damn, girl. just for you guys. Ooh. Working on my hand strength. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, so again, once again, witnessing history on this podcast. It's pretty sad history. <laughs> Nonetheless, it's history. But Megan, I was going to say before we jump into the episode and the story today, last week's mm-hmm. so last two episodes were about MK Ultra and the LSD mind control experiments. And particularly last episode was about, you know, the mysterious death surrounding Frank Olson. And I talked about the docu-series called Wormwood. So I actually was able to watch it yesterday. And yeah, we are sleeping on this docu-series because there are some (laughs) good actors in this. I was actually shocked by the cast is pretty good. Peter Sarsgaard is playing Frank Olsen. And the docu-series starts with Frank Olsen being pushed. That's what I think happened. Being pushed out the window and falling to his death. The way that I think of it was like how the O.J. Simpson American. Oh, yeah. Prime. The People versus O.J. Simpson by Ryan Murphy. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. We got there. <laughs> the People versus O.J. Simpson, how they like had this star-studded cast that was reenacting. Because usually when I think of docuseries or reenactments, I don't want to say like anonymous mm. actors, but they're kind of like mm. anonymous actors. This is a strong yeah. cast. Anyways, take it away, Megan. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who are always Sunny and Philadelphia fans, which I am one of those people. Jimmy Simpson plays one of the McPoyle brothers. And Harini, you should really watch that show. So it's it's always weird to see Jimmy Simpson play these like super um, serious dramatic characters, like who he played in mm-hmm. Westworld. Because I always knew him as the McPoyle brother who is like, just this weird incestual <laughs> freak. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's so funny. It's really funny. Anyway, that's our little take on television. Exactly. Another thing I wanted to talk a little bit, some talk stuff. And this is tying it back to episode one, where Megan talked about methanol poisonings. Mm. Yesterday, all we talked about on the talks team was toxic alcohols. And the two most toxic alcohols out there are methanol and ethylene glycol or antifreeze. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was interesting. Someone did a bunch of these studies on methanol to understand where that blindness comes from, because there's really no telltale symptoms of methanol Mm. poisoning, like Megan had said. Yeah. Like, like, why does it affect your ocular nerve? Exactly. The answer is no one knows. But what they do know, and if you if you understand metabolism of methanol, it goes methanol, formaldehyde, and then it goes to formic acid or formic, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they gave animals i'm assuming i think it was dogs i know this is really fucked up guys i'm sorry they gave dogs a bunch of formic acid and nothing happened their eyes were totally fine nothing was wrong with them and then they gave them formaldehyde and their eyes were like super fucked up so there's something in between it's not the end goal of the form format that's causing like this eye issues it's something in a prior step they haven't worked it out exactly mechanistically what's going on there, but we know for sure it is not the final product of Formate, which that's what people thought it was originally. Right. It's not. It's a little a murky thing, but I just thought it'd be cool to share. No, that's so cool. I love that you shared that because now, it, uh, well, one, I love to see science change, mm-hmm. obviously, as yeah. we learn more and more. 
But that is interesting because, yes, on that first episode that we recorded, I'm like, these are the steps. It's like A, B, and yeah. C. <laughs> Formaldehyde, formic acid, blindness. Yeah. And, to know- <laughs> right. and to know that it's... So they gave them formic acid, right? Mm-hmm. And that that's not actually what's causing it. So that's so interesting. And I just, it just yeah. kind of emphasized to me that methanol kind of is this silent killer. Mm. You don't really know. There aren't any symptoms of it until you get this blindness. Once you have blindness, you're kind of at the end stage of things. But anyways, that's yeah. my tidbit or a little thing I wanted to share for oh, talks. So cool. Thank you yeah, for yeah. sharing to the class and me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the class. I guess really quickly, guys, That Shit Is Poison is a true crime and toxicology podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we always forget to say that at the top of the hour, but here we go. It is a true crime, toxicology, or poison podcast. We are here to tell you forgotten tales of poison throughout history. There we go. Okay, so now that's all the way. On to onto the, <laughs> the good stuff. So, Megan, <laughs> it is time. It is time to pick your poison. And listeners, like I said, time to pick your poison. Gather around, because Megan's about to regale us the nice, juicy story. Take it away, Megan. So first, I'd like to start my story off with a credit to Harini. She's actually the one who who brought this story to my attention. You know, we just do these casual text messages back and forth, kind of talking about ideas for the podcast. And she was just like, hey, you did a thing on Malaysia, the first episode. Do you know about the assassination of Kim Jong-nam? Uh, it happened in Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia. And so that's <laughs> that's basically the premise. But I want to credit Harini to actually bringing that idea forward mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it is something that I actually was aware about. I knew about it when it happened because, again, my ties to Malaysia, my mom, mom being Malay, she was, yeah, my mom, she was mom. very, um, um, I knew when, when it happened, my mom immediately, like, you know, sending my sister and I messages through WhatsApp being oh, like, wow. oh, this happened and it's a whole drama and blah, blah, blah. But to be honest, I don't think I heard more of it within a week's time sort of thing. Like it, I heard about mm-hmm. it the day it happened and then I yeah. like couldn't care any less. Um, <laughs> which after doing my research and bringing it to the podcast, I think it's something that we all should probably care about on a deeper <laughs> level. So let's get into that. So thank you, Harini. Yeah, no worries. Today, I will be talking about the assassination of Kim Jong-nam in Kuala Lumpur, the capital of Malaysia. Kim Jong-nam is the (laughs) Korean, I want to be very diplomatic about my language, Mm -hmm. is the half-brother of the current Korean leader, Kim Jong-un. Okay. I was, you know, tempted to say dictator because that's what he is. (laughs) But, um, you know, we're just going to try to keep it very, like, diplomatic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yes, this is the older half-brother of Kim Mm -hmm. Jong-un. Okay. And the poison in question in this story. And weirdly, it actually has some connections to some previous conversations yes. we've had uh, with Harini's story with Navalny's attempted assassination yeah. or assassination attempt. So she will tell us more about that as we go further. Yes, yes. So yeah, it's Venomous Agent X, also known as VX, and it is a nerve agent. <laughs> I was just going to say, that is the most... Yeah uncreative <laughs> name <laughs> it's yeah not subtle at all right very not subtle it tells you exactly right, what it exactly. is <laughs> and you should probably avoid it all i'm honestly yeah. thinking emperor's new groove status where they just have those bottles that have like stickers <laughs> that just have x on it <laughs> and the skull across oh my god i love it uh, yeah I love sorry it. continue <laughs> no that's fantastic what a oh great man, amazing highly i don't know is it underrated i think a lot of people I like think it's it so but, underrated yeah. yeah i love that movie. right it's so funny. Okay, anyway, 
Anyway, yeah. have to watch that later. <laughs> Here is how the tale goes. Mm-hmm. So I'll start on the day of when everything goes down. Okay. So it is February 13th, 2017. So about you know three years ago and some change. Mm. Okay. <laughs> the setting is the international airport in Kuala Lumpur, mm-hmm. Malaysia. Okay. It's a very busy airport. I've flown in and out of there numerous times, honestly, very nostalgic for me. <laughs> so knowing that it yeah. happened here, I was like, oh shit. Like, you know, I was there at one point, maybe in the same exact spot. Totally. So it's, you know, February 13th, three years ago. It's actually early in the morning. It's, you know, approximately 8.59 when all okay. the stuff goes down. But I'm, I'm going to actually start us like, maybe it's like, it's probably 8.30 mm-hmm. in the morning when Kim Jong-nam, mm-hmm. N-A-M, Kim Jong-nam, essentially enters the Air Asia mm-hmm. Terminal in the KL International Airport. And to kind of give you more an idea of the setting... Air Asia is what I like to call the equivalent of Southwest <laughs> Airlines for for East yeah. Asia. So Air Asia can take right. you anywhere the fuck you want in Asia, in South, uh, not Southeast Asia, yeah. but, you know, East Asian area for very, very cheap. It's essentially like, you know, just like air buses that go in and out yeah. of these airports. So the Air Asia terminal is incredibly crowded, even though it's only 830 in the morning, super yeah. crowded. And I imagine humid, too, because yes. Malaysia is very humid. Kim Jong-nam gets there around 8.30, probably is entering the terminal at that time. He's clocked at around 8.59 a.m. And this is all shown on CCTV footage. So, wow, yeah, so you can see all this actually happening and I'll get into that more. But at around 8.59, he goes up to his checking counter or checking, you know how they have those... Um, the kiosk. Yeah, those kiosks. Yeah, yeah, he goes up to a kiosk. And while he's at the kiosk, probably like trying to check in for his flight and get his gate information, someone puts like their hands on his eyes. Huh. Someone from behind putting their hands on his eyes, <laughs> like someone's playing like a peekaboo prank or right, like guess who right. sort of thing, you know? And it happens in the span of like three seconds. And it's not just one person, it's two people hmm. back to back in the span of three seconds. They approach him from behind, they put their hands over his face. And when he finally is like, what the hell? Yeah. They run off and they're like, sorry, sorry. And it's two women. It's two women. And when they run off, they run off in different directions. Okay. Wait, quick. So that's kind of setting. Yes. So you're saying they mm-hmm. each ran up behind him and did like the peekaboo thing. In very small intervals. Okay. So so one woman comes up first mm-hmm. and she goes, she does the peekaboo thing. She like rubs her hands all over his eyes and face and mouth. Weird. And then she scampers off right as another lady comes up. Uh, and does the same exact thing. Hmm. And then she goes, sorry, sorry, and then runs away <laughs> into the crowd. And rem- mind you, it's a very crowded terminal. Right. And so once they run away, he's like, what? Like, he's discombobulated, right? Totally. I should pause. I always do such a bad job of this. I should list my sources. I totally <laughs> had them at the top of my notes, and I still ignored the hell out of them. So I apologize for stopping. So my main sources today, I would like to give huge, huge credit to. Doug Bach Clark, who wrote mm. a piece for GQ called The Untold Story of Kim Jong-nun's Assassination. I highly recommend anyone who wants to like really see the depth of this crime, this assassination, to read this. Again, Doug Bach Clark. But oh, wow. what I appreciated about this piece that he wrote is that he even like he traveled mm. to Malaysia and he traveled to the country's of the woman that partook in the assassination too. So he really like yeah. dug into like, who were these people? Who are the players? So That's highly, highly journalism. recommend. So good. Yeah. 
I also got some sources from the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal is the ones that have the, they, they are the ones who have the CCTV okay. footage of the actual assassination. And, you know, you see that you see the two women approach oh, Kim Jong-un wow. from behind. So you behind. can watch this. You can watch it. Whoa. And I've watched it over and over again. And then there's also <laughs> an element, seriously, there's also an element of later on we'll talk about, yeah. but like there's other people probably in that footage that played a role in this. Scary. That, you know? So, yeah. So... So that's pretty exciting. I just got chills <laughs> um, for real. Yeah, yeah. NPR Asia, a more Wall Street Journal, the CDC mm-hmm. website on their you know definitions of VX and Wikipedia. Yes. All right, so going back to it, Kim Jong Nam just had this mysterious oily substance rubbed onto his face by two different parties, and right after that, he immediately goes to a trio of airport police guards. And is like, yo, I'm not saying he talks like that, but he's like, he's like, hey, two people just came up to me and like rubbed their hands all over my face. And I'm starting to feel really dizzy. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Can you help me? These guards, one of them breaks off and escorts him to the airport clinic. And by the time he's at the clinic, you can tell his breathing is extremely labored. Mm -hmm. He's faltering to walk. And once he's in the clinic, he goes into an epileptic seizure so fast. He, so fast. They immediately stretcher him to an ambulance, but while he's en route to the hospital, he passes away. Wow. And this is all within a span of 15 minutes of the oil being put on his face. No way. Okay? What yeah. the fuck? Okay. So scary. Terrifying. <laughs> right. And so me, who had been to that airport so many times, I'm like, are you saying anyone could have ran up to me and put oil on my face and I could have been dead? Like, what? Totally. Is that? <laughs> but I don't have connections to like North Korea or anything. So maybe that's, that's a positive for me. So I have a question actually. Yeah. The thing that was running through my mind as you were relaying those crazy sequence of events is, was he alone? Like mm. how does Kim Jong-nam travel? Is he with people? Like, does, I would assume he has an entourage mm. of security people, but I mean, like how can people get close to him? Yeah. So, you know, that's a fantastic question. And I think I have an answer, but the reality is it's not a very mm-hmm. satisfying answer because you do have a you do have a point. So looking up his history, and it's going to be a little long-winded to get get to where I want to go. But No, yeah, go for it. So Kim Jong-nam, well, as I said, he's the older half-brother of Kim Jong-un, yeah. okay? He's actually the firstborn son of Kim Jong-il, oh. the original the OG <laughs> dictator. <laughs> yeah. But when Kim Jong-il died in 2011, At that time, Kim Jong-nam, you know, person who was assassinated in question, he had already fallen out of favor with his father years ago. And that's why Kim Jong-un ended up taking that position as leader of North Korea. And the reason why Kim Jong-nam fell out of favor is because, well, in my head, I'm like, it's kind of a dad's fault. But because (laughs) when Kim Jong-nam was young, Mm -hmm. he was sent to a very prestigious, posh private school in Geneva. I suspect that through his, you know, Western schooling, he was kind of showed the world a little bit more. Yeah. And even when he returned, like at the age of 24, I think he was given a government position in North Korea, but he already kind of had this one, this kind of wanderlust personality. All he wanted to do was go and travel and be on yachts and like, you know, just see the world. (laughs) The high life. Exactly. Live the high life. And he also was actually pretty outspoken against this idea of three generations Mm. ruling. But it's reported that he was actually a little more lenient with progressive ideologies and things like that compared to Kim Jong-il. And he was like more lenient with things like pardons. 
in oh. like being sympathetic towards defectors yeah. and whatnot. Just not as militant, maybe. Right. And that's where I'm kind of like, that's a little unfair for if this was the reason why he wasn't given right. leadership. Because like, hey, you're the ones who sent him to Geneva. Like, yeah. like what? <laughs> like, what were you expecting? Yeah. Right? Like his eyes are open. <laughs> And now they're closed. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Okay. Guys, we're not making fun. This is all nervous laughter. We're just, we're a mess right now. So he he was definitely a little more progressive than his father. Yeah. I did see very briefly in like some sort of tabloid article that the real reason why he was essentially exiled from North Korea is because he he like illegally had a Dominican Republic, I'm getting this so wrong, but he had an illegal passport that had something to do with Uh the Dominican Republic, but he was in Japan trying to go to Disney Tokyo. And because that passport didn't fly, it was like an embarrassment Uh or something when he was like detained trying to get to Disney Uh Tokyo. That's the suggested reason as to why Kim Jong-il was like, you're not going to be the Uh first in line anymore. You're too, you're too, you're an embarrassment. You know, you're too like unprofessional and blah, blah, blah. But to go back to your question of like, Mm -hmm. why is this person who is the firstborn son of a previous, you know, North Korean dictator not have any entourage? Well, it's because he's been exiled for so many years, predominantly living in China or the Macau area. He was based out of Macau. And just maybe it's a potential of he felt like he didn't need that because he wasn't in touch with them for years and years and years. Yeah, that's true. He was kind of very separated from that for so long. Right. Very separated. But, you know, after being assassinated, (laughs) assassinated and all these things, I still think the question is valid because Mm -hmm. there's more, there's so much more to the story. There's a suggestion that he was starting to meet with like CIA agents and things like that to give them information about North Korea. So I'm like, why wouldn't he have, you know, security around him? And I just don't know the answer. Yeah, that's weird. So I really don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, he ends up dying in the ambulance to the hospital and it's an interesting situation in the immediate backlash of this so what happens is he dies in the hospital and people don't actually recognize that this is kim jong-nam for a little bit yeah because he he does go by an alias in a sense like his his passport might have like a different name or whatever but they ultimately figure out like oh shit this is kim jong-nam half-brother kim jong-un so what is going on here something bad is happening right Malaysian officials end up, through the CCTV footage, end up finding the two women uh, Mm -hmm. who placed the toxin on Kim Jong-nam's face. And they find them pretty quickly. And this is, I'll talk more about the female assassins. I'm putting assassins in quotations because my personal opinion is that they were not true assassins. They're just women who were like tricked into Mm. pulling this stunt. But Malaysian officials end up detaining them or f- arresting them pretty easily because the one of the women ended up going back to the airport the next day. <laughs> and the other woman, they must have somehow found her through the grapevine of gossip and stuff because they found her at okay. a hotel that's like known for prostitution. Mm-hmm. So for just for context, both mm-hmm. these women were prostitutes slash yeah. call girls. Like they were in that scene. Additionally, and this is what was interesting that I did not know. Apparently, Malaysia has a good relationship with Pyongyang, which is the capital of North Korea. So oh. I didn't realize that <laughs> they were like, no, I wouldn't say buddy, buddy, but they, yeah. they had a, a, ambassadors in each other's okay. country. Interesting. Yeah. So during this investigation, the ambassador of Pyongyang was kind of criticized or, you know, Malaysia investigators mm-hmm. insinuated, oh, North Korea had something to do with this. 
And the North Korean ambassador in Malaysia was like, that's absurd. You're trying to tarnish our name. Blah, blah, blah. It's not us. How dare you? And so Malaysia decides, okay, well, you're excused. Like, we don't want you here. Go back to Pyongyang. Well, North Korea and retaliation does the Mm. same thing to the Malaysian ambassador in Pyongyang and is like, get the hell out of here go but they actually withhold that ambassador for a bit and there's like this weird like malaysian i was gonna say mexican standoff but (laughs) malaysian pyongyang standoff yeah where they where each country is kind of withholding citizens from each country until one of them is just like okay you know never mind we we don't think you had anything to do with it so weird (laughs) so petty it's petty but also in my mind i'm like this is a type of international geopolitical relationship that I have no knowledgeable mm-hmm. depth about. Because in my head, as an outside observer, I'm like, how could you possibly just release these North Koreans? I, and I'm not saying, oh, do the inhumane thing and like hold them hostage. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm like, in my opinion, clearly North Korea had something to do with this. <laughs> but Malaysia, the Malaysian government was so easily like, okay, you can go so we can get mm. our people back. Yep. And I get that. Like, I get that. I sympathize with that. But I'm just like, it was just like too, They're I don't know. too quick to fold. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Too quick to fold. Mm-hmm. And what ultimately happens is that the Malaysian government, again, my opinion, they need a place to blame on somebody. So with, they ultimately only charge the two women yeah. in the assassination. I'm going to pause real fast. Any questions or need for clarification yet? <laughs> if we're good, I can definitely keep going. I just want to make sure I'm not like jumping around. Yeah. 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 Let's do that. So let's talk about the woman involved in this assassination. There's two women, Mm -hmm. both from rural villages from their home countries. One woman, her name is Duan Thi Huang. She's Vietnamese. And at the time of the assassination, she was 29 years old. Background on her was Mm -hmm. she worked as an escort in Hanoi. And that's where she was recruited by an undercover North Korean agent. Wow. And that's confirmed. And that is confirmed. That's confirmed. But she, of course, did not realize this until after she was detained oh, and had already unknowingly killed uh, Kim Jong-un. Yikes, okay. Yeah, that's one woman. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't know a lot about her story, but all I know is that she, like the other woman in question, who I will get to in a moment, she thought that she was doing a prank when she put the oil on Kim Jong-un's face. She thought that she was actually in a oh, hidden camera... God. TV show and it was just a prank and these North Korean agents or operatives had been grooming her for months or whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. weeks to a month to pull this stunt off okay so let me get to the other woman who I have a little more information on this woman her name is Siti Aisha Mm -hmm. and she's Indonesian also comes from a rural village in Indonesia and actually an extremely conservative Islamic village in Indonesia. And this is where, again, I give credits to that Doug Bach Clark, because he did a full background search on this woman. And it's actually a really sad story, but it's not an uncommon story. But basically, Siti, she grew up in this rural village, though being raised super conservatively, Mm -hmm. she always had the draw for the city life. And so she ends up going to the main city part of Jakarta. Yeah. And gets a job in a sweatshop when she's like 14 years old. Yeah. You know, when I say sweatshop, I mean that she's literally working 13 hours a day and only accumulating a total of $50 a month. 
So this is like living conditions that I could never in my life imagine mm-hmm. or ever be able to, Let's you know, stand, yeah. um, say that I can relate to that. Yeah. yeah, completely. She goes and lives in the city at the age of 14. At the age of 16, ends up getting married to the sweatshop owner's son oh, wow. and has a child shortly after. So this is not uncommon. Teen pregnancy is not an uncommon mm-hmm. thing, especially in these rural villages. Uh, you know, it happens in Malaysia, it happens in Vietnam, yep. it happens in all those Southeast Asian countries. So they have a child and the sweatshop starts to go under around 2011, which is coincidentally the same time that Kim Jong-il dies. (laughs) Um, Not that that's related at all. (laughs) Because the sweatshop's starting to struggle, she and her husband and child actually go and immigrate to Kuala Lumpur. Okay. And, you know, the husband picks up a job waiting tables and she picks up a job as like some sort of shop girl, Mm -hmm. like a retail shop girl. Mm -hmm. They end up divorcing a year later in 2012. And when they divorce, she returns back to Indonesia, but leaves her son there and goes back to Kuala Lumpur around 2015. And this is what I really liked about that one GQ article is that this is a story that is super common Mm -hmm. for a lot of young immigrant women from Southeast Asian countries, especially Indonesia to Malaysia. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just how the life is there. And like, I've witnessed that. I've like seen that actually within my own family. And it's just very interesting because, you know, I grew up in the States and yeah, we have things like au pairs and stuff, but it's different. Like It's definitely different. different. I mean, I like that you bring that up because as you're telling the story, it's bringing up kind of similar thoughts and notions for me too, because I was just thinking that's such a sacrifice Mm -hmm. that they have to support their family yeah. by taking care of other children where while their children are by themselves. At least that's what I'm feeling. But for me, coming from India, my dad and my mom were the only people to immigrate outside mm. of India. All our family is in India. Mm. So for that reason, we would travel to India almost every year. Mm-hmm. And Megan, you know this really well. When you are taking two days to travel to your final destination and paying like 5k a ticket yeah you're gonna stay there for a while so yes whenever yes. we went we would stay for the whole summer which was like a month two and a half months yep so when you stay somewhere for a while you kind of get to know the culture and the people and things like that exactly what megan said mm-hmm. but it's always these women who are not well off and are taking care of the children in the home and they literally just like live there. Yeah. They just grow up with the family and they take care of the house. They take care of the children. They just take care of everything for not a lot of money mm-hmm. and, you know, just to support their family. And I don't think this is so much a thing nowadays, but it's almost like a status symbol if the female in the house does not need to work. Yeah. You know, it shows that your husband or your family comes from money yeah. and you don't need to work. Obviously, this current generation, awesome. Right. Boss ass woman <laughs> taking over all the jobs in India and South Asia and all of the things. But I would say traditionally, that's kind of the notion. Yeah. I've seen that. My family members have had nannies who are definitely young Indonesian yeah. women, only in their 20s. Mm-hmm. And they're just working every day, all day, taking care of not even their own kids to pay for their kids back yeah. home in their village. And they're getting like the smallest amount of money. And they rarely ever go and see their biological children because that is just the lifestyle. And what's also, yeah, it's a sacrifice. But what's also interesting that was brought up in the article was that sometimes the women don't go back because once they've had a taste of like this cosmopolitan, Mm -hmm. much more affluent, respectively, life, because Malaysia technically is, or Kuala Lumpur is more affluent than a lot of Indonesia, hard for them to want to give that up too. 
So they end up working in that country, Mm -hmm. you know, migrant nannies, and they send the money back. What also comes with that is understanding that whether it's CT or Duan Ti Huang, the Vietnamese woman, they also have really, really no education, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. very, very limited. So they don't really know a lot about the world either. And thus that makes them very good targets. Oh, 100%. That makes them good targets to be taken advantage of by (laughs) but malevolent beings in the world who are trying to assassinate someone. Right, exactly. Yeah. Especially, especially, which I'm sure you'll get to. I'm sure there was money involved. Oh, absolutely. So here's here's <laughs> the zinger with that. I just told you about how she's making, what, yes. $50 a month working 13 hours a day, mm-hmm. okay? When she goes back to Kale in 2015, she does end up going into prostitution. Mm-hmm. And even then, literally one trick is $15. Damn. That is nothing. And part of that $15 goes to her bosses, <sighs> mind you. Yikes. When she is introduced to, we'll call this man James, quote unquote James, but this is one of the North Korean intelligence operatives. When she's introduced to this person and she's introduced to him Mm -hmm. through a cabbie and cabbies, you know, people who run the taxis or whatever, they actually tend to be the common go-betweens between prostitutes and you know tourists or people who are interested. Interesting. So she's, Yeah. yeah, she's introduced to this James guy through a cabbie. And he immediately offers to pay her a whole $100 uh, to do this prank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying this prank where Kim Jong-nam's right. assassinated. It's actually, she ends up doing multiple sessions of this quote-unquote prank. Wow. <laughs> so that he knows that she's capable of doing it. So from January, so remind no, that, you, that's the assassin, it's a whole thing, Harini. It's a whole thing. Sorry, I just want yeah. to say two things. I, it's like, for, for PC purposes, we are using the term sex worker, oh, so yeah. I just want to say that. Oh, so, sorry. No, I, just, I know, yeah. I know it's, it's so yeah. tricky because I, I'm sure these articles write, like, they're prostitutes in prostitution, but it's just for inclusivity purposes, yeah. say sex worker. Absolutely. Snap, snaps. Yes, yeah. yes. Everything is work. That's my, that's my B. Absolutely. No, no disrespect. Absolutely no disrespect. Yeah. I will definitely use the sex worker. See, thank you, Harini. Yeah. yeah. No disrespect. That's just how these articles are written, guys. That's just how it is. Anyways, but we, we will do our best to make sure. Absolutely. We'll sex worker. The second thing is that is so damn diabolical that they prepped her. And it's like you said, it's one thing yeah. that they asked her to do it over and over again to see that she can even do it. But it's, it's also training her and getting her in the mindset that this yeah. is this is just a prank. This is truly a prank. No one is dying by me playing this prank on people. And so that's why yes. she doesn't even think twice when she does the final big boss reveal of her doing it to Kim Jong-nam. That is so, like, dark. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so I'm almost honestly, I think I'm starting to build my own conspiracy in my head. It's not really a conspiracy. But I have a whole thing about, like, I think Western society has been bred to see North Korea as some poor, dysfunctional country that <laughs> yeah. has no resources, yada, yada, yada. But from doing mm-hmm. my research on this, you find that there's quite a few North Koreans, especially those who are involved in the government and its inner workings, who live externally outside of yeah. North Korea. Yeah. They live yeah. all over the place. Um And actually quite a few of these operatives that are involved in this case lived pretty lavishly in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. Oh, they have money. Yeah, yeah. And and they know how to speak the languages, too. And so part of me is like, you know, we need to be, we, as in, I'm sure, like, the CIA knows that already. Like, I'm I'm not preaching to them, but it's more of so, like... (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Is there some sort of the social media and news indoctrinate us to think these things about North Korea? And I think the answer is yes. For so long, I've thought like, oh, they're impoverished, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, which maybe in some level it's the yeah. case. But at the same time, I'm like, they're totally capable of power yeah. and pulling stunts like this and all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I think it's not something that we can, I don't know, sneeze at. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> totally. so, yeah. So, so CD is first introduced to James sometime in early January. He introduces himself as, oh, like, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, a TV producer, and I'm trying to produce this prank, hidden camera prank show that will air in Japan and China, okay? It's going to be everywhere, and so we'd like to choose you to be that. And she's, of course, she's in it. Like, not only is it way more money than she's ever made before, but it's also like, oh, chances of being a celebrity. Exactly. And get this, at one point, they even pay for her to fly out to, like, Cambodia or something to do the prank there. <laughs> wow, okay. Yeah, and in Cambodia, her, what I would call James a handler at that point, mm-hmm. her handler is switched, so it's no longer James. James passes her off to this guy named mm-hmm. Chang, quote-unquote Chang. Um, his real name is not Chang, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> and in Cambodia, that's where she meets Chang, and he has her do, like, three more practice runs to, like, mm-hmm. practice this whole cover-eyes prank and stuff like that. And he doubled her pay every hit so 200 dollars per hit oh my god and 200 us dollars that's Shit. like so much money for so her much money. which is really really devastatingly sad too at the same point I, i'm just thinking in my head all those people that she plays the pranks on are probably all these north korean agents oh my god harini you called that shit. I'm not even joking you. That is true. So listeners, Harini must have ESP or something, but it's true. What you find out throughout the investigation is that all the people she played a prank on, who she had described as Chinese looking men, they were all part of this operation. Right. And the reason why they had it tested on them is to make sure that she knew how to do, do oh it. God. And also mm-hmm. so that because if she played this on someone who wasn't involved, there's that threat of them reporting to the police. This woman just did this to me. Why is that? And then that could be connected back to the assassination. Totally, so crazy. So she definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely. You're 100% right. She was getting groomed by pranking, quote unquote, pranking other North Korean operatives. This is so... so it's a whole thing. Like, wow. I don't even know what the right word for it. Diabolical is one, but there, it has to go even deeper than that. Like, it's so sinister. Sinister is the word I'm looking for. They're all good words. My mind goes diabolical. Yeah. Devious. <laughs> It's all just so many layers and it gets even, even more crazy. There's like another. Oh my God, I am ready. So, okay. So why does it take two women to pull out this prank? Yeah. Okay. I had mentioned earlier that the toxin in question that was used in this assassination is VX, right? So according to a professor at a Korean university, Mm -hmm. after, you know, looking at the prank and he's actually a chemist too, he suspects that. The reason why there's two women is because what they had on their hands was not VX in its true form. He suspects that each woman had VX2 on their hands. And what that means is, so VX2 is, I don't know, a lesser, lesser extreme form. Yeah, less potent. Yeah. Yeah, less potent form of VX. And it's made by dividing VX into two non-reactive compounds. Mm. So he thinks it's likely that the two women, when they placed their hands one after another oh. on Kim Jong-nam's face, it created that active VX. Oh, how fucking diabolical Lord. is that? 
stuff. I'm not even kidding. Like stuff. that is like next level brain planning. Like <laughs> whoa. Okay, I obviously obviously this is horrible. Someone was yeah. killed this way, but from a scientific perspective that is so fucking genius and cool. So genius. <laughs> yeah, like it it blows like, my mind. Whoa. It's just that, that's some crazy pieces. See, that, that's the thing. People are geniuses can be so scary because they can use it for all the wrong reasons. And this is one of them. And I, yes. how do people's brains yes. work like this? I, I, I'm just amazed. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And I'm just like, it's just shocking. It's really it truly is shocking. I, I have no better words like Harini. I totally match your sentiment. But the thing um, now. OK, yeah. I, sorry. I feel like I'm jumping the gun, but Go I'm just so excited. No, that's about OK. The this story um <laughs> i my question for you and do not answer it if you're going to talk about it later because i want okay. you to be on your track okay, okay. but yeah. my question is obviously these girls they prepped them they mm-hmm. did the pranks i can't obviously yep. imagine that they prank all these other agents with this type of two level right. poison so how how did they know this worked they obviously tested it somewhere right. is there information on that right so well first in addressing the pranks, yeah, obviously they didn't use any sort of harmful chemical on the eight on the you know the people mm-hmm. who are part of this operation. Um, I think they mentioned something like they were using just baby oil or hot sauce on their hands. So hot sauce itself is like pretty damn painful. So I don't know who's volunteering for that. It's a gochi job. <laughs> I know. One of the agents was like, "Yeah, fuck me up." <laughs> oh God, what was the second part of that question? <laughs> Oh, I was just asking, obviously, at some point, they figured out this two-part process worked. I just wonder, how did they figure that out? To be honest, I don't know. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that's on me. Like, that's my bad. I really didn't go so in-depth because there was a part of me that was like, I know if I go deeper, there's going to be so much. And maybe Mm -hmm. this could have been a (laughs) two-parter, but I'll just keep it at this today. But the only thing I know is that the chemist who created the substance the vx2 is somewhere in china and there's actually footage of him at like a karaoke bar or something and that's all i can tell you about that but they had their their lead chemist posted up in china and at some point he gave them the chemicals okay i don't know i mean if that professor from the korean university knew how to make vx2 then i it's not beyond Mm -hmm. these people to like know how to put the two and two together okay Right. So this is a Korean, North Korean made poison based out of China. They put their guy in China and he was like concocting this, this toxin. That's correct. Now, VX is not unique to North Korea. It is not. No, no, no. Okay. VX was actually made in the UK in the 1950s. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Here's the added layer to that. It was invented in the UK in the 1950s. Of course. Of course. For some sort of, I don't know, research lab in Germany. So there's all these high military powers involved in the, the creation yeah. of this. And it, it, it VX, oh, I should have told you the history of VX. It is only yeah. known for chemical warfare. That is its purpose. Mm-hmm. I think anybody in any country could essentially make it if they just knew the chemistry. Yeah, totally. Obviously, if you house a certain amount of it, it is illegal. Yeah. So if you're caught with like a barrel of VX, like <laughs> oh, you're definitely a suspect. Right. <laughs> And for more, I guess, you know, more information about VX, it is its most potent slash most dangerous Mm -hmm. in its liquid form. And it has a very oily texture, apparently. Apparently, VX in its purest form is odorless. And so that's why I think that theory that it was VX2 on the woman's hands is very real because... One of the women did report that the day of the assassination, when she was uh, seedy, when Chang, so seedy and Chang were actually at the Air Asia terminal waiting to bring on Kim Jong Nam. 
uh, Chang took CD's hand and was like, look away. Like, don't look at what I'm putting on your hand. And she's like, okay. Sorry, I shouldn't make I shouldn't make jokes about CD, but you know, like that's that's hmm. what's happening. And so Chang puts the oil on her hand and she recalls it smelling like gasoline. If we know that VX is odorless, then it must have been some sort of derivative that would eventually combine on Kim Jong-nam's face. And that part was also, you know, mm-hmm. what's I just want to go into how much more strategy that yeah. was there is involved in that because there's a reason why they had CD go up first and touch his face. Right. And then immediately after they had instructed the Vietnamese woman to go and touch Mm -hmm. his face so that they themselves would not make contact with each other's hands so that they themselves would not become poisoned. Yeah. And then I think a lot of people were like suspect. How could they not know what they were doing or whatever? Like, how did they know to go wash their hands after? Because apparently you can actually avoid poisoning by VX if you wash your hands. <laughs> so, which is kind of like interesting for something that's so dangerous. If you wash it off quickly, you'll be okay. That's so interesting. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Go, so, ahead. go ahead. I'm just thinking now exactly what you said. There's definitely an order to mm-hmm. these, to this whole situation. But now I'm thinking, yeah. so it seems like CD went first and then the Vietnamese lady, she goes yes. second. So in theory, she technically has both compounds now in her hands. Correct. Yeah. So that's why she has to book it to yeah. that nearest airport and wash that shit off. Wash that poison off, right? Okay, so, but then if she does that, she should be in the clear, is what you're saying. Right, in theory. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And yeah. it is confirmed, uh, like, in my mind, I think Definitely. it's pretty confirmed, but the women were instructed to go wash their hands afterwards. So, I mean, I'm trying to think deviously. If your target yeah. has been killed, why does it matter if your two puppets that you used survive? But maybe it's like less strings attached. I don't... Chang very explicitly told both of them, wash your hands afterwards. So I don't know why they felt the need to do that. But whatever. <laughs> like I also yeah. feel like they did a really good job of not letting them in the loop. So they're not really aware of really what's going on yes. or like who these people are. And I'm sure the people that they were in contact with were probably you know, I don't know, like not high up officials in North Korea or anything like they're kind of expendable. They're people who are trained for this type of thing. And then they just vanish off the face of the earth. Right. And maybe they didn't think that these girls were going to get caught so easily as they did. I have no clue. I'm kind of thinking if that happened to me, I feel like the first thing I would do is go to the bathroom and wash my face or at least be like, what the hell is on my face? You know? So I'm thinking, I'm thinking like they probably had, like you said at the beginning, CCTV footage, there's probably other agents in the crowd. I'm thinking as soon as this plan goes Uh. into action, they like swarm all the men's restrooms and just use up all the sinks. (laughs) They're like, everyone's washing their hands at once. (laughs) That is hilarious. And I love that visual. They're just like, all right, go, 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 go. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. That's a great question. I think, okay, realistically, I'm sure Kim Jong-nam <laughs> was like pretty weirded out and suspicious yeah. by that three-second interaction with the two women, right? And I'm sure the reason why he didn't run to the bathroom was because he wanted to go to security so badly first. Yeah. And that's where his mind went. But there is a comment in one of the articles that was like, if he had just gone to the bathroom and washed his face, he would have been fine. Right. That's what's crazy. And that's the risk they took. That's the risk they took. You're so right. He could have gone to the bathroom. Wow. I mean, there's a chance that maybe one of them was already posted up in the bathroom or in multiple bathrooms. And they were waiting like, okay, if he comes in here, then we'll just have to like. We'll finish the job. 
it's likely. It's very likely. That is wild. Okay. Yeah. Once again, I feel like the need to say we're not laughing at any of the deceased or the individuals. No, obviously, this is all. just so fascinating to us. And this is why we're doing this podcast because we find it right. so interesting and the why behind people do the things that they right. do. I think it's because we're so used to seeing this stuff like in a movie. Yeah. And so when it happens in real life, we just cannot fathom that it is real. <laughs> yeah. It, it, that's the thing. Like, yeah. it's, I'm shocked that this happened in real life and that people got a. I mean, I don't know if they got away with it, but they pulled it off. You know, up until this point, it has been pulled off. They yeah. actually did this. People are actually planning these things. Who are thinking these plans? It's wild. In in 2017. Mm-hmm. It's super fascinating. And just, you know, this story, along with a lot of the other stories that we've discussed on this podcast, yeah. I'm like, tons of people are probably thinking these things. Like, <laughs> these operations are happening as we speak. You know oh, what I mean? Like oh, yeah. this stuff is going down in real time. This is why I'm becoming a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> uh, but as Harini did say, she's like, I don't know if they got away with it. Well, here's what's even more ludicrous to me. And I'm not here to like bash the Malaysian government or whatever, but all the Korean men who were involved, James, Chang, all the men who were in the Air Asia terminal, they literally once so so there's I guess there were five mm-hmm. other North Korean men who are in the Air Asia terminal watching this all go down. Mm-hmm. And each one of them had a role. Two of their roles was like to make sure the women mm-hmm. diverted after they put the substance on Kim Jong-un's face. And they essentially choreographed them to like go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. The three other men were keeping their eyes on Kim Jong-nam and making sure that he actually did pass. And so there is, wow. I think in part of the footage, there is a man wearing like a, I don't know, wearing like a black backpack waiting outside yeah the airport clinic office to ensure that he does not come out and is dead. And then once, once Kim Jong Nam goes into the ambulance, you see that person walk into the bathroom and come out with Mm -hmm. changed clothes. Like all his clothes are gone sort of thing. It's different clothes. And so all those five North Korean operatives, they change and they take the next flight to Pyongyang that same day. And they are out of the country by the time anyone knows what's happening. There's, of course, an international request to like yeah. keep an eye out for these people because they're they're on a list now. They're on a list, but they're in hiding and they're gone. The, of course, other people who were tied to this thing who weren't actually at the airport, you know, mm-hmm. Korean men in Kuala Lumpur, all of them were detained for a bit. And then Malaysia was like, okay, we'll let you go back to Pyongyang because we want our Malay citizens to come back. That's the whole standoff. So all, all those people were let go. And then it just left the two young women who are these village girls who just came to Malaysia to find a better life. And they're suddenly in jail for doing a prank that they thought they were going to be on TV for. And it's really sad. And this is where I do slightly criticize the Malaysian government because Mm -hmm. I am of the opinion that they just needed a scapegoat. It's very obvious that these women were not part of the bigger operation and they're not masterminds in any sense of the word, but they needed to prove a point that, oh, we do have some sort of, you know, disciplinary power. So we're going to put them in court. And they're the only two people that were charged in this trial. The happy ending here, though, is 2019, two years since they've been jailed, they were released. So that's the happy ending. Okay, great, 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 great. So both CD and Duan, they are now in their home countries, safe and sound. Great. But even the, even that, you can tell that the only reasons they were released is because their own country's government strong, like, yeah, what's the word? Yeah, strong arm, Mussied yeah. up mm-hmm. the Malaysian government. And 
it just kind of shows how intricate yeah. the Southeast Asian government relationships are. Yeah, definitely. And who has influ- influence over who. And the reality is they all kind of need each other in some way. Yeah. So if you're going to hold one of their citizens <laughs> hostage, it's not going to be a good look for you. So in a way, even though I criticize Malaysia's government, they were put in a very unfortunate position. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as you said, yeah, Kim Jong-nam mm-hmm. dies in Kuala Lumpur Airport, I'm like, damn, right. Malaysia's like, well, <laughs> we didn't fucking ask for this, okay? Right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Like, of course, North Korea is not going to, you know, have the dirty blood on their territory, you know? Hell no. This is a whole thing. Stationed out in China, one of the North Korean operatives, he actually went to university in Indonesia, spoke fluent Bahasa. That was the Chang guy. Oh. The Chang guy knew how to speak Indonesian. And that's why he was CD's handler at the end of the whole ordeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of like, they really just knew what they were doing. And it's terrifying. And you know, it's so sad because they're probably watching these women for a while and just kind of understanding yeah. why they would be good targets for them. Uh, it's, right. it's so heartbreaking. But I, I'm glad that it ended up in a happy ending for those women because those poor women, they didn't, they didn't deserve that. But I guess my question yeah. is, do we have a motive? Why was he killed? Yes. So glad you asked this because it is critical. I had mentioned earlier that there's a rumor that Kim Jong-nam was actually starting to have conversations with the CIA. Yes, yes. And the only reason that is suspected is because the U.S. and North Korea's relationship is such total shit. Like, we obviously (laughs) don't even have a U.S. embassy there, you know, of course. Mm -hmm. But because of that, it's very hard for the CIA to penetrate North Korea. And the only way that we usually get information on North Korea is through defectors, right? Mm -hmm. So Kim Jong-nam being someone who at one point in his life was so intimately involved in that government and even, you know, living in that household, there's a very real chance that he was starting to meet with the CIA. And this is also because this is when Kim Jong-un was starting to kind of beef up his nuclear Mm -hmm. warhead. Mm -hmm. This was during that time where like Trump and... Remember that time that we almost thought we were going to get bombed by North Korea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was this time, right? And this is where, like, Trump and Kim Mm Jong-un were, like, butting heads. And Kim Jong-un was getting very braggadocious about how his nuclear warheads could reach Alaska and all this sort of thing. Actually, the only reason that Kim Mm Jong-nam was even flying out of Malaysia that day, and he was going to fly back to Macau, where he was based. Mm -hmm. But the only reason he was flying out is because the last several days prior to him leaving, he was staying in this very popular island called Langkawi. Mm. Again, crazy to say that because I've been there as a child. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very popular island that has like luxury resorts. So he was in Langkawi meeting with an unnamed Korean-American guy Uh who people suspect was a CIA agent. And the reason why there's even more suspicion is because when he went to the airport that day, you know, he passed away. Yeah. In his backpack was $120,000. Oh, shit. So that's a lot of money to be bringing back to Macau. And so, like, where is that money coming from? Why are you getting paid so much? Whatever you're getting paid for, it must be something high risk. So they suspect that while he's on Macau, he was having conversations or something. And then he got that money. Yeah. And then was going to go back to Macau, but was assassinated instead. You know, hasn't the CIA heard of Apple Pay? Like, get <laughs> what is it with this hard cash? I mean, I mean, I laugh at the joke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not discreet. I, I'm i thinking about when I found out about that <laughs> amount of money in his backpack, I was like, I remember, and Harini, you can, you can probably attest to this too. Whenever you fly internationally, when you're flying into a country, 
the stewardesses and stewards always come around and they're like, okay, fill this sheet out. I forgot what the form is called. Fill this form out if you need to claim anything over $10,000. That's literally where my mind went. Right? Mm -hmm. So in my head, I'm like, wow, Kim Jong-nam, you're really going to claim (laughs) $120,000. I'm just trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's not even CIA money. Like that's just like his spending money in Macau once he hits the casinos. That's true. I mean, and that's true too. You're you're hitting all the right points because (laughs) he was described as someone who was a gambler and slightly a playboy. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. I so love it. I love it. That's pretty he, much he was the fun that's pretty much the story. You know why he was exiled in North Korea? Because he knew how to have yeah. fun. Trying to know? go to trying to go to Disney Tokyo on a Dominican Republic passport. <laughs> like what this guy is a character. I know. It's just a whole shebang. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, go ahead. I I'm continuously so interrupting. I think I, I'm yeah. wrapping up. I promise I'm wrapping up. I just want to give a little more to the describing Venomous Agent X, because, you know, it is a poison podcast at the end of it. So as I had mentioned, it is a human-made chemical warfare agent. It's classified as a nerve agent. What that means is that it's pretty similar to the grouping Mm -hmm. of pesticides called organophosphates, Mm -hmm. except it's just much, much more potent. It's an oily liquid, very slow to evaporate. It is, it's most dangerous when it is on your skin as a liquid. And that's what also kind of brings me back to the two women is that even if they Mm -hmm. did accidentally like touched each other's where their hands were or on their clothes or something, it wouldn't have been as dangerous for them in the end. They say like if it's on your clothes, it's actually not even as dangerous. But BX basically blocks its ACAG. Acetylcholinesterase, yeah. And I'm laughing at ACAG because that spells ache. (laughs) (laughs) which maybe is intentional, but what ACAG does. Okay. So acetylcholine is what triggers muscles to contract. So when acetylcholine's in your neuronic synapses, when it hits a receptor, it Mm -hmm. makes your muscles contract. Yeah. ACH works to actually break down acetylcholine in that synapse, making it so that acetylcholine doesn't just keep bouncing in that synapse and making your muscles contract, contract, contract. Right, right, right. Venomous agent X blocks ACHE. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it blocks that thing that prevents acetylcholine from accumulating in the synapse. Right. When ACHE is blocked, acetylcholine accumulates in the synapse and your muscles just keep contracting nonstop. Yeah. And there's a buildup in the synapse until your muscles are so contracted that it leads to the diaphragm contracting. Ultimately, asphyxiation is caused. Yes, yes. And Another part of this, which I thought was really interesting, was it also has a nicotinic mm-hmm. effect in the mm-hmm. brain because that part of it is blocked too. So what happens is your brain actually endures what's called excitotoxicity, which <laughs> in a very blatant way to put it, is your brain is just so overly stimulated that it fries out. Yeah. Like it just like <laughs> it causes paralysis, aka death by asphyxiation and then excitotoxicity. Imagine your muscles just tightening over and over and over until they just tighten until it's stiff. And imagine your lungs and diaphragm squeezing over and over until you can't even exhale or inhale anymore. Exactly. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's super dangerous and it's a nerve agent, except if you wash your hands. Exactly. (laughs) Um, So that is how Venomous Agent X works. And that is how Nerve Agent works. Wow. Remind me again about the Navalny poison. I forget. The Russian names get me. Yeah. Novichok. When Megan was talking about this, I did like a quick PubMed search Mm -hmm. on on VX as like a nerve agent series because when I was talking about Novichok, which is the organophosphate nerve agent in question in the special episode, What's in Room 239, if you guys want to go listen to that. 
But exactly what Megan said, so there's this series of nerve agents that are these venomous X agents. And there's actually five different derivations of the venomous X agents. And Novichok is derived directly from venomous X. That in itself is very interesting because essentially what the Russians did is they took VX, which is already super, super potent, it's super deadly, as we clearly just saw. Kim Jong-nam died within all of 15 minutes. The Russians derived this and made it even more deadly. Because if you guys remember from our special episode, Novichok is the Mm -hmm. deadliest nerve agent. And I believe the number was is Mm. 10 times more potent than VX. Right. And VX is pretty friggin deadly. Right. So you can just imagine right there and kind of alluding to what Megan said earlier. So these nerve agents are highly viscous and have low volatility. And what that really means to us in just plain terms is that it can really just stay and persist in the environment for a long time. And it is difficult to wash away, Mm. although not impossible. So if you don't do it right away, you're in trouble. Uh, Exactly what happened to Kim Jong-nam. But it has this acetylcholinesterase component to it. And it doesn't take much. Like Mm. 6 to 10 milligrams by dermal exposure is going to do it for you. And absorption is rapid, like seconds, seconds to minutes by inhalation. If you have it by dermal exposure, what happened in this Mm. episode where it's on Kim Jong-nam's face, it's significantly slower by like minutes to hours. So that is why, Megan, when you were saying the story and Kim Jong-nam died Mm -hmm. in 15 minutes, that tells me that they put quite a lot on their hands. Like It was a very concentrated amount on these women's hands that they slapped on his face to really... They knew it was going to finish off the job, basically. On that note, as Harini said, the Novichok... Novichok. Yeah, Novichok, yeah. Novichok nerve agent is stronger than VX. And so when we think about the Navalny assassination attempt with Novichok, it was like within three hours time span Mm -hmm. that he started to feel symptoms. Is that correct? He felt symptoms right away, but he got really, really bad within three hours. Three hours, right. And so that tells us that the amount of Novichok used in that assassination attempt must have been like the most minuscule of the most minuscule doses, right? Because if you compare it to what I'm talking about, where Kim Jong-nam is out in 15 minutes, Harini is absolutely right. They must have actually put a pretty generous amount on their Mm -hmm. hands, Mm -hmm. more than that 3.5 ounces. Exactly. (laughs) They just slapped it on. They're generous about it. For sure. Like what a weird time, you know, Thinking about where this all came out of in the Cold War, like you had mm-hmm. the U.S. government, just the whole world yeah. was preparing for war in a different way. Like we were moving away from guns and right. like that kind of just artillery warfare, things like that. Yeah. We're looking to natural poisonous toxins right. to kill off right. people. Just Definitely, a weird time. It's an insidious era. Yeah. It'll take me another 10 years and another podcast right. to think about these things. <laughs> exactly. We're finishing up now, but let's talk about antidotes. For Venomous Agent X and VX2, and remember VX2 is what was actually used in assassination, the same antidotes apply. In this case, the antidotes would be atropine or pralidoxime, aka 2PAM. Those drugs essentially counteract the overstimulation of acetylcholine. So they are kind of like the substitutes for acetylcholine esterous, where it breaks down the acetylcholine. If there's convulsions involved in like a nerve agent attack, people recommend using a sedative or anti-epileptic such as diazepam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, benzos are always the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but kind of going off of that, I was really curious about this too because, I mean, if you know drugs, it does take a while for things to work. 
and for atropine to work right away, unless you give it IV, whatever, but let's just assume you're not able to. This is a dermal exposure, right? So right. to me, it makes sense to, you know, counteract it with something also that's dermal. Mm. And so that's what I was looking at. I was like, is there an antidote that is topical? Mm. And there is. For this particular situation, there's something called reactive skin decontamination lotion, or RSDL mm. for short. And so this should definitely be used if available. The ingredients in this compound will sequester retain and neutralize this organophosphate nerve agent so that it no longer can be it no longer will be absorbed into the skin and cause any more effects on the body mm. so i feel like that would be the best antidote in this scenario yeah. if you have it i don't know how widely available it is though right yeah and that's one of those things where it's like you'd probably only think about it if you knew what was happening to you in that moment right like yeah. if you knew like oh shit i just like spilled all this <laughs> nerve agent on me let's get the lotion that's the thing like <laughs> i was just talking about this the other day i was talking about poison oak and poison ivy because mm. that's really prevalent in northern california chamomile <laughs> but that's or is that mosquito bites <laughs> no 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 you can do oatmeal i don't have you had poison oak before i've never had it okay no yeah, even though i lived in an area where i definitely could have gotten it many a time i actually suspect that i am not prone to getting it like i'm and immune that to be it possible that yeah could be possible mm -hmm. yeah yeah anyway so i was talking about that and i was a little irritated because what they tell you to do as an antidote is you know put on the lotions put on all these topical corticosteroids to prevent the itching and so on and so forth and they said you know wash your hands vigorously mm. and i'm like bitch if you're out in the forest where are these sinks where are these things please tell me because what's okay we are going off and i will say like i'm pretty much done with my story yeah. point, so i'm fine to entertain this but if you're lost in the woods you need your water yeah. so i'm not gonna pour my healthy ass drinking water right. that's purified on my poison oak i'm gonna just live with that itch and, exactly and that's exactly <laughs> what the toxicologist suggests he's like well you always have your water bottle i'm like my water no. bottle's for me yeah <laughs> you know anyways so that's the story. That wow. is the assassination of Kim Jong-nam. That is the story of Venomous Agent X, VX or VX2 in this case. And the story of how two women, in my opinion, were exploited to carry out this incredibly mm -hmm. devious mastermind of an attack. Yeah. Mastermind, I'm saying that generously. Yeah. It's topical right now as we do this recording because a documentary called Assassins by Ryan White, mm. it talks about this whole case about the assassination of Kim Jong-nam, mm -hmm. the women who are involved, and actually the whole underground Korean espionage story that's actually behind the assassins assassination. We just watched the trailer before recording and it looks so good. So we're going to watch it together this Saturday. Yeah. So stoked. Uh, the same day that we're eating fried chicken together, <laughs> right. we'll be watching this documentary. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it looks really good. So um, I encourage you all to also watch and let us know what you think because mm -hmm. we'll be watching it as well. Honestly, this has probably been one of my favorite stories oh. so far. Yeah. I love all our stories, but this was really exciting. All right. Shall we do some antidotes and wrap it up? Yes. Yes. All right. Would you like to go first? I sure okay. would. So I mentioned in a previous episode that I've been getting back into reading for pleasure. And honestly, I don't want to say I'm, I'm ashamed about this, but I feel like people our age tend to read more nonfiction than fiction. And to be very honest, I always 
will gravitate towards fiction because let's be real, the last however many like years of my life, I've only been reading nonfiction for for work, for school. But I bought this book called, and Megan, you'll like this. Mm. It's called Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake, which my brother made a joke that that's the fakest name he's ever heard. Um, I'm like, who is this wizard? <laughs> I know. Merlin Sheldrake. Sorry, Merlin Sheldrake. If that's your real name, cool parents you had. <laughs> There's nothing like a good cover art. And Dude. this has very pleasant, pleasing cover art. It is really gorgeous cover art. So Entangled Life is... So let me just read you the cover of the book. It says, Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures. Love it. You know this is up my alley. <laughs> I know. That's why I kind of picked it. And I also... So Megan is super fascinated by mushrooms, as am I. And this is something that was kind of talked about a lot in my you know clinical life i guess my clinical career that mushrooms really have been the basis and foundation of all life mm -hmm. including human life and still is mm -hmm. a foundational aspect of all life and i've always been curious about the different species and how fungi really play a role in earth mm. so this book is just so amazing they're already hitting you with so many facts and it's so good and it's not just like fact 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 it's a little bit story blended in with facts that's nice so if you guys are curious and you want to learn more about mushrooms and just fungi in general i highly highly recommend this book and megan i am gonna pass yes, this off to please. you as soon as i'm done yes please uh fungi they are our decomposers and creators <laughs> that is my antidote i'm thoroughly enjoying this book and i'm learning a lot and it's making me happy and so that's that that's awesome thank you for sharing that because yeah. now um i'm excited to yeah read it my antidote today is pretty predictable, which I hate being predictable, but whatever. <laughs> I'm just happy that the holidays are around the corner. Yeah. Happy to say goodbye to 2020. And I know that 2021 won't be the solution to all our problems. In fact, it could be worse. Yeah, that's right. Oh it God. could be worse, people. Hang in there. But if you want to think it's going to be better, totally. Like, I'm with you there. I believe in that magic yeah. of, like, manifesting a better year. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. But I think I'm just like work wise, I'm like happy to take a little bit of a break. Yeah, completely. Amazing. We all got to celebrate hard, but safely. Yeah. On that note, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. It, it helps us quite a bit. And yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening each week and we hope to see you in the new year. Yeah. Happy New Year, y'all. Happy New Year, guys. Enjoy. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. <laughs> we all deserve it. Yes, we do. Take a break. Yeah. We'll allow it. <laughs> Anyways. All right, Megan, take it away. All right. Don't risk it for that venomous Agent X biscuit. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much thank for listening you. once again. We'll see you next episode. Goodbye. Peace. Peace.